On this episode of How I Got This Gig, music supervisor Norm Beaver joins us to discuss how he works with songwriters and composers to create awesome music for cartoons. Yep, Norm's worked on Franklin the Turtle, Babar the Elephant, 16, that won an Emmy for Best Theme Song. Isn't that pretty cool? This is a great topic. We get a lot of questions on picking music for our videos, don't we, Berman? Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it's tricky. And even now, it's tricky, even all these years of picking music for our stuff. It never gets any easier. All right, so here we go. Let's start the show. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Dean Rainey. And I'm Berman Lamb, and we are the Video Twins. That's right. Uh, the Video Twins helping you to make better videos. Right, Berman? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's a little chilly oh. today. We got some snow finally this winter. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a cold weekend here. It's going to be negative 18 out in Toronto. Dang, that is going to be cold, and there's no escape. No, not at all. Well, this is a very fun episode. Um, I love talking about music in videos or television or movies or whatnot. And, and Norm lays it all out there for us, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's great to hear from a professional who his primary job is to work with music and sound effects. Uh, we do it for our stuff, but it's not our specialty, so to speak. Right, we have to do it along with everything else that we have to do. Uh, but I do enjoy working with music and sound effects. It's definitely underrated. I think even today with the new crop of people that are moving into video creation and that, I think they're kind of forgetting it or leaving it behind how important music and sound effects are. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it goes down to, even to the public out there who are watching movies, TV shows and commercials. They don't realize how important uh, music and sound effects are to what they're watching. Um, That's right. The sound effects make things feel or sound real and alive. And you may not consciously really think about them, but subconsciously you're definitely, you're, you're taking them in and they're adding to the full picture of the story that's being told. And of course, music, that really just helps to you know, set the tone for a scene. Uh, it can manipulate the viewer's emotions as well, make them feel something that, you know, might not be otherwise there with just the dialogue, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still remember doing commercials back when I was at Fox and clients being so adamant about how it sounds because they're worried that when a commercial goes on air, people are going to walk away and start doing other stuff. So at least they want them to hear what the commercial is all about. It's both the dialogue and also the emotions that they want to uh, portray through just the sound alone. That's right. When do you start thinking about music when you're doing a spot? Do you think of it like in the storyboard uh, process? Do you start thinking of it when you're shooting or when you're in editing? To be honest, I think about music throughout the entire process. So when I'm working on a concept, like when, I ha when there's a blank piece of paper in front of me or a blank computer screen, Sometimes I need to start listening to stuff to, to get myself into the mood of what I'm trying to create. Right. So it starts right from the beginning sometimes and then throughout the whole process. So even if I start and I choose, choose a piece of music, later on down the line, I may have to come back to it because I realize that my concept has changed and I need something a little different. Maybe it's a little more upbeat than it was or more emotional than it was. And even t till after I shoot 
whatever I'm shooting, I may need to go back and start looking for new music again because what I shot is a little different from what I initially anticipated the spot to be. So it's across the board from beginning to end. Music is in there in my thoughts. That's right. For me, it's, uh, you know, I love music and it, it is a real inspiration to me. I draw a lot of creativity and ideas from music, but I would have to say that it's really in the post a lot of times, you know, because of what we're making is maybe short documentaries or these promos. And so I'll discover the music during the editing stage and it'll really be like a life preserver that like, okay, now I'm excited. Now I've got it. Now I've got the, 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 the beat, the, the spirit. Now I've got, I've got the tone of what this spot is. But then sometimes as I'm just, I'll take some time out when we're having downtime and I'll just go through some of the music that's available out there for like commercial royalty free music. And if I listen to a track and it, and it touches me and it, it hooks me, I definitely grab it and put it away. And I will usually try to build something around it later on. Right, right, right. I, I do a similar kind of, um, um, I guess, um, process, but usually it's not just in my spare time. It's like when I'm working on some project, I'll be going through a library. Next thing you know, I start hearing stuff that I like that has nothing uh, to do with what I'm currently working on. So I start stashing away in folders and everything so yeah. that I can relive it later. I'm hoarding but, it. We're just oh, hoarding absolutely. music. <laughs> yeah, because here's, here's the truth. A lot of people don't realize how much time we put into choosing this music. Maybe because I I, I'm not... Okay, Dean, to be honest, I, I know that you have grown up around music and you love music and everything i'm a little different uh my family uh, me growing up we didn't listen to as much music or pop culture music as i would like to so it's i always find it a challenge for myself so every time i start looking for a piece of music for a project i'm working for it usually takes me like half a day to a full day just to find like one or two tracks that i might like yeah i can believe it i see my team they 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 struggle with that too and i'm pretty quick in the i guess in the sense that it maybe takes me two hours. It might take you four, maybe it takes me two. Yeah. Or yeah. an hour. Uh, I don't know. It's taste. It's, uh, you know, what you're drawing upon already from your my, my, my memory bank of just yeah. all kinds of melodies and har- harmonies and all that and things that sort of hook there. Now, it's a little bit different what Norm does because Norm, ha- you know, he gets to indulge in having a composer. You know, yep. he can give references and direction, work with the director, but he's got a composer. Our budgets do not allow for that. We <laughs> really have to work with canned music, don't we? We do. Um, and quite honestly, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I I feel like today's music, you know, canned music, is getting much better than what it used to be. It is. We had this discussion, you'll hear in the interview, where he, he kind of like sort of disses canned music. And I was like, ah. I don't know. You know, it's come a long ways, baby. Like yeah. there's some good tracks, you know, that, that, that work there and they're incredibly affordable. Yeah, absolutely. I, more, there has been a few times where I've worked with composers and hey, let's be honest, there's different people, different quality. It's yeah. all over the range, right? Um, maybe I've worked with people who are not as experienced. I don't know, but there are as many times where I would be asking for something to come back and it's quite not what I'm looking for. And it doesn't really, it kind of, we always fall into a rut and at the end we settle on something. And um, I don't know, I feel like if I'm spending this kind of money and everything, 
you know, I was expecting a better experience. But it could also be my lack of communication, not being able to communicate what I want to the composer as well. That's a huge part of it as well. So even if you find a composer, you need to know exactly what you want. You have to have references going to yeah. that composer so that they know what they're building or else it's a shot in the dark for them as well, right? So it's a great... Yeah, having a composer is great, but you you need to be prepared. You need to understand how the process works before you get into that uh, that exercise. And that's what makes this interview with Norm so great because he is awesome. He walks us through the whole process of, of how it really works, the nuts and bolts of it. And there's a lot of stuff I learned. Yeah. I didn't know that they, they worked that way. I didn't know that they did this or that. Um, so it's really, really a great episode for that. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I definitely learned some stuff when they talked about like, you know, working on video games versus working on a commercial and stuff like that. And realizing that it's different. Not music, it's just not music. Uh, if Depending on what genre you're working for, depending on what medium, it changes the whole aspect and you have to respect that. You can't just go in thinking, oh, well, music is music, whatever. Right. Definitely. Now, you asked me a question off mic here. You wanted to know about my experiences having worked, because you've worked mainly in commercials. Yes, yeah. Quite yeah. My question to weighted. you was, yeah, mainly commercial for myself, and I always am curious because you've had a wider range of experience. Um, you know, you've you've done CNN, you've like news, you've done uh, documentary, you've done commercials, and you've done a lot of work for uh, online uh, uh, clients. How does that change and differ for you when you approach these different projects? Is it different, or is it the same for you? I find them all different. Uh-huh. I mean. With, let's just go through the list here. Okay, commercials, music, yep. super important. You want to have something with a hook because you want uh, people to remember that commercial and maybe hum that. Maybe you've got a jingle, right, that your commercial yep. has. Uh, you want people to, in a short time, be emotionally touched by what you're, the story you're telling them and what yeah, you're selling Yeah, 30 seconds, them. right? You, you got, got 30, 30 seconds. seconds. Music's going to help you get there quicker to uh-huh, that emotional... Yeah. The state that you need them to be ready to hook and buy. Right. Um, documentaries. Now, Norm says something interesting in this um, uh, interview as well, where he compares putting music to documentaries different than commercials. He, I, I, It almost seems like he doesn't give it as much respect, like it's just a music bed laying there. But I disagree, and I think that documentaries, it's crucial for, again, uh, setting the emotional tone of a scene in a documentary, and not just there as sort of like a music bed to just to keep a rhythm, to keep things moving along. I definitely think, um, you know, breaks in a documentary with natural sound, where there's no music and there's just the natural sound of the environment. And a lot of people I find today, uh, young video makers, they underestimate that nat sound. You know, you don't want a two-minute video or a 30-minute video that is just absolutely wall-to-wall dialogue. You want breaks. And if you don't want to fill those breaks with music, you want to fill them with something else. And that can be the natural sounds that goes with the visuals that you're showing. And that can just be enough time for the viewer to reflect on what they've just heard in, a, in the previous dialogue, uh, maybe set them up to enter the next scene, to establish what's happening, just to sort of control sort of what's going on. Then I absolutely agree. You agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, here's, and there's also the flip side where, I, you know, it's not, and you mentioned it here, it's not just like a bed of music that goes all the way through as well. That doesn't make sense either. Right. That, that's just covering stuff and not really instigating or helping emotions uh, when the audience is watching something. So I might cut a scene in a documentary where I'll cut the scene first and I'll find the music track, but then I'll definitely recut the scene 
to tie in better with the music, maybe the beats, maybe the feeling there, so that they're yep. they're they're yep. quite married. Then finally, there's news because I did spend some time at CNN, two years there. News is yep. not my bag. In the early days, you know, you did not put music. You did not put music in a news package. You 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 just didn't because to some extent that was almost like. Uh, manipulating the feelings or editorializing or, oh, good um, point. you know, right. not just giving it the, the information unbiasedly. If you put, um, a, you know, a sad track, you, you were invoking a feeling from the viewer that necessarily wasn't attached to the information. So you had to be very, very careful of that. Unfortunately, I'm seeing less and less people care about that and they're putting music in things to try to make things more palatable maybe for the viewer but i think that distorts things and we have to be very careful on the other hand nat sound is the number one thing i have learned from working in news because when you didn't have music and you didn't want wall-to-wall voiceover or sound bites from the people that you were interviewing you had to have the nat sound oh yeah and my right. my head of uh post-production there or the head of the directors at cnn ian morris if you're listening yep. he just i always had to recut things you know, get that get that nat sound in there give get a pause don't come right up on the dialogue let it come up let's hear what's going on let's see what's going on and then get into the story you know give pause for the audience to reflect again on what they're seeing and what they've just learned and then set up going into the next one and and do it with natural sound so that I have always taken to the documentaries and the promos that we make. Yeah, very interesting. That was a That's rant. Point. That was a rant. <laughs> that was a rant. <laughs> well, I mean, when you were talking about the, you know, the dialogue and everything and how it comes in, that reminds me of like my days, again, at Fox, but instead of commercials, working in promos and everything and learning how, you know, how dialogue and music have to work hand in hand. You yeah. can't have them two fighting each other. Uh, throughout the whole thing it needs to one one kind of comes in while the other one comes down and the other one takes over while the other one you know dips down as well um, and that's quite a trick you know especially when you have stock music that you're working with they have their peaks and valleys and then you have your dialogue that you have to kind of put in to kind of work within those peaks and valleys and it's tricky but when it works it's fantastic yes there's definitely limitations with canned music but here's a hot tip for you a lot of times these online um, content creation music composers or whatever where you can buy a track, there have been times where I have emailed them and I've paid like, you know, a premium 50 bucks, 100 bucks more to have them customize a section of the track that's already there. And they'll do it. And this is great because sometimes you just cannot really? get the film and the music to marry together. Or I remember one thing, I, the track was perfect. The track was perfect, but it ended really just... Uh, down or it just was like it was anticlimactic the way it ended it kind of just quit and i said no i need yep, like yep. can you do some horns and some big and i gave him a reference and i explained it and he did it and it and he knew it tacked yep. on there perfectly and then i had the complete music that i needed. Oh, wow i didn't know so that that was that an is option. an option <laughs> yeah it is and it's pretty affordable wow okay. as well Okay. So this is a fun episode. Norm's a, he's a great interview, and he he really pulls back the curtain on his job and how things work uh, producing con- cartoons. Which were you surprised by the budgets they still get? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay, very surprised. Two hundred fifty thousand <laughs> at twenty minutes. <laughs> I was like, 
they're cartoons. You're not <laughs> even dealing with real locations and real yeah crew I mean, members. Every time I, I go through one of these of, uh, yeah. these podcasts, I talk. I tell myself I'm in not the wrong industry, but in the wrong part of the industry. <laughs> 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 That's a good way to put it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's not wait anymore. Let's find out more about the better part of the industry. Here's music supervisor Norm Beaver. Roll it. So, Norm, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. Um, you have a job that I would have loved to have done. Growing up, I think I would have loved to have done it too. I love music and I love movies or film or television and bringing them together, I think is awesome. How did you get in? Well, first of all, you're a music supervisor, Yes, correct? That's, that's your title? That's, that's my title, yeah. Describe that, define that for me. Uh, music supervisor basically is hired on any type of production to find music that suits the film, whether it's custom composed or uh, licensed from pre-written songs like you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller could be right. on a film. You're going to spend a ton of dough to right. bring that in. Or you find a composer who can emulate Thriller. That, and, the feeling and, of and Thriller kind of thing. The feeling of Thriller yeah. and yeah. pay a lot less money. So, you know, I work with production crews, uh, video editors, directors, um, animators. Uh, I'm mainly in the animation industry uh, for a company called Nelvana. So it's all custom composed. We own the music. And we pay, we have a budget and we custom create every single piece of music that we have. So you don't compose it, you hire outside uh, composers. Yep, uh, Canadian composers, uh, always Canadian because we want to um, accumulate the tax credits, which are Ah, very helpful. And so it's one piece of the puzzle for a a producer. Um, Ontario resident, that's that sort of thing. So we we feed the Canadian musician um, industry. Um, some some you know we give them their livelihood. Totally. Now, yeah. do, do you guys own the rights? Then do you do do you buy them right out? We buy them right out. Or do yeah. they do they get royalties when it's played or no? Well, they own the writer's portion. There's two okay. sides of it. There's the publishing, um, and then the writer's share. Right. So it's not legal to take a writer's share, but uh, sometimes a record company, you know, like a Universal or a a Sony, will take writer's share, but that's not fair. That's not the right thing. What we do, they got 100% of the writer's share, we get 100% of the publisher's share. So we, for every dollar we make, they make a dollar. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How did you get into this line of work? Oh, my gosh. That's a... very interesting question. I was a lover of cartoons as a young kid. Oh, really? I um, thought you were going to say I was a big music fan as a kid or something, but it was cartoons. Well, I did love cartoons, but, uh, you know, as a, as a young child. So growing up, cartoons were fascinating to me. You yeah. know, Mighty Mouse, Bugs Bunny, and, and I fed off those. And I liked typically anything that was comedic. And in, in animation, you can custom create through scripting comedy right Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that there's also those shows that are adventure and anime you know battle scenes that sort of thing um i never really was into that as a kid but how it combined my growth of music you know initially my parents had this huge record collection 
they were huge dancers. They loved to right. dance, and you know, there was a beer in one hand and a dance floor in the other hand. <laughs> yeah. you know that sort of thing. <laughs> so I was exposed to music uh, at a young, early age. Um, initially, I became a drummer. Grade eight, my parents got me a little uh, snare drum, and I started drumming. So. Um, I wasn't considered a musician in many people's eyes. <laughs> right. I'm a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I I loved music. I fell in love with music early. I don't know why. It was just a passion. Um, I wasn't necessarily a huge lyrics fan, so I, d I couldn't mm. remember words. But the music behind, the talent, somebody playing guitar, Eddie Van Halen playing guitar, or Neil yeah. Peart playing the drums, or... Um, Getty Lee on the bass or something. I was always about the performance of music, and I think um, it took me a while to understand that these guys actually had to carve out these songs and rehearse and practice before they actually got to their beautiful song on record. Yeah. That sort of thing. So I grew up loving music. I had friends who loved music. You know, you share records, you share songs. And nowadays with MP3s, it's so shareable. It's unreal. Like, I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm quite overwhelmed by the amount of music that's out there because I can't keep up. Yeah. I can't listen to it all. Um, so how does that affect your job then when you, you kind of got to be on the no, no, right? Like, I'm sure, do people come up to you? Maybe they're working on something. They're like, man, I need a track. I just need a... That, that's what I imagine would go on here. Like, well, what are you listening to? What's hot, Norm? There is know? there is a series that wants it's it's uh, based towards young girls, yeah. and they've always wanted the creators always envisioned the underscore to be pop oriented. Now to tell a story, if it's a sad moment in a in an episode, <laughs> do you play pop music? Well. Somehow they wanted s still to have that sad moment to be pop-oriented in some form or fashion. And it's not necessarily singing that's going to tell the story. It's going to be a piece of music that yeah. is sad. So there is a series that is like wanting to be pop. But typically our job and the composer's job is to support the story. If it's going to be sad or happy or j joyful or you know, tense or su suspense, you know, you, you want to have that in the music and our composers, you know, will, will custom create that and will make that. But back to your question about sourcing out music, we're, we're looking for demos yeah. from composers. We're out in the community, we're, we're meeting, um, uh, uh, there's a company called Olay that we're partnered with. They, they help us find um, uh, musicians, local musicians, Canadian musicians who have the talent to songwrite, not necessarily to, to underscore, because there's two things that we mainly look for, production value and, and uh, experience. Mm. Um, Let's go back to, what did you say, songwriting or music writing and underscore. Define the two or describe the difference. Well, when you go out for a theme song, to a show, right? Yeah. Like that's going to be repeating every single time. Like yeah. the Simpsons composer has just that's going to have a, maybe a more of a traditional song structure, like a, maybe a verse feel, uh, and then a chorus and a hook or something, right? That's totally it. Okay, totally it. So we're looking for songwriters, somebody who can do in thirty seconds 
uh, an intro, a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, and out. Yeah, yeah. If, if depending on what the director wants. So songwriters know how to carve out that, that progression in a song. They know that going from one chord to the next to this to ending will result in this, right? Uh, when you go to an underscore composer, they don't necessarily know even mm. how to songwrite. They don't yeah. even know how to write a lyric, ah. right? So they'll, they'll hire songwriters to write a song within an episode. So they'll have help with that. But composers tell a story through music. And their, their method is, it's tr truly based on final picture. You have to have final picture, locked picture, to be able to make that scene work, right? If it's going to be a 12-second piece, they've got to know the tempo before they even write. So how do you get right? that chicken and the egg? Because I'm sure the editor is like, man, I want the music so I can pace out the cut or something, right? Is that Sometimes. Okay. No. Sometimes there's there's temp there's there's a, there's a term that we call tempitis, and yeah. it, it bites us in the butt all the time. Um, tempitis is putting Michael Jackson's Thriller into a Leica, which is just and a Leica is just a basic um, drawn out picture before it goes to animation. And some directors will like to put in a piece of music because we also have clients that we have to deal with and the clients are able to comment. So if they have, a, so for, from a director and a video editor standpoint, if they have Michael Jackson's thriller in that scene, it will sell the scene easier. Right. Rather than no music at all. But the, for us, that puts us in a bind because the client loves it they want a thriller ripoff. And right. we're just like, that's not the way to go. So that's called tempitis. And, and mm -hmm. we, get, we can get stuck on that sometimes. Um, sorry, where were we? Okay. Lost so, my train. No problem. Sorry, I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> so back to underscoring then. They want the locked picture. So then how do you balance between rough cut to pace for the music track and then also music to help with the video cut or the edit? Well... Uh, Again, um, going back to temp music in 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 a like is is temporary. Yeah, that scene might even be cut. Yeah. Um, typically in the animation world, what we do, like like in f for feature films or live film, you uh, have so much reel that to cut down to twenty two minutes or whatnot is a little bit easier because mm -hmm. you've over, you've got three hours to turn into twenty two minutes. Yeah. In animation. It costs money to animate, so they'll have a tw for a twenty-two minute episode. They'll they'll choose to animate twenty-three minutes. Ooh. So you have a minute extra, right? A minute that you can afford to lose. That you can thing. afford to lose. Yeah. So back to the temp music. It does help time out a scene, but that scene might shorten by two seconds later on. So then the composer, you know, will will figure that out. So that's why lock pictures. So in animation, there's the only audio in a cartoon is dialogue. That's what should come back in locked pictures, only dialogue. All the footsteps, all the sound effects, doorknob tweaks, door cra car door crashing, uh, cars crashing, or like a footstep, uh, birds in the air, is all added afterwards. So if, if the mix supervisor, there's what's called a mix supervisor, and they have a team, mix supervisor, there's the composer, 
the uh, Foley editor or footsteps. And then there's the sound effects editor doing all the extra sound effects. And then there's also an ambient sound editor, which is all the, like, you're in the city, you're in the country, you're by water, you're in the bathtub. You know, it has that sound, that tone. And the mix supervisor then has to have lock picture because if you come back and cut a scene and it's five seconds shorter, all that sound that your team has worked on is now out of sync. There's, yeah. it's, it's useless. So um, from a composer standpoint, those decisions can be made. We'll, we'll, I, guess, I guess I should go into what we do um, when we get the lock picture. We, we, uh, the, t- the mix supervisor's team gets into a room and we spot the show. So from 30 seconds to 35 seconds, it's a sad cue. From 1 minute, 10 seconds to 1 minute, 20 seconds is a little action cue because they're running down the street. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, in, in, in the store and it's a... This is before you hand it over to the composer. This is kind of notes that you're prepping. The composer is, right? is in the room. With you, yes. And we're okay. deciding... On exactly. paper kind of thing? On like paper. Just, yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly where you're coming in and where you're going out. Uh, and the mood, and the selection, and the instrumentation. And then um, the composer goes away with their notes for 22 minutes. Probably could be anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes of music they've got to create in two weeks. Wow. (laughs) Two weeks. They've only got two weeks. And then after that two weeks, everybody gets back together again, um, the mix supervisor's team, and we sit in the room, and we do what's called a track screen. Now, the track screen is purely for listening. We're not mixing it. It's just to hear the music. It's to hear the footsteps. It's to hear the sound effects. And the director will say, I don't like that sound effect. It's too harsh. I, I, don't, I don't like that bell, that bell in that piece of music. Can you take that out? Um, shorten that cue. Rewrite that cue. I don't like that cue. Uh, that cue's great. Can you lengthen it? You know, so then the composer has another seven days to the final mix, mm. and that's it. Like it's three weeks process for twenty-two minutes, and you're making anywhere from ten to fifteen minutes of music. Um, so it's a real crunch. But that's episode one. Yeah. Episode two, same thing. Three and four, and now what you have is about forty to sixty minutes of music in a library. Because ah. all that music from the past, you're able to show, you're able to create. You now have the basis for your cartoon and the music that's going to be coming for the next, depending, you know, 20, 30 shows. Ah, okay. Right. So that library is built. You've got your act in. You have your act out. You have um, some like thematic. So like the theme song that was ha- the the songwriter who wrote the theme. Sometimes the theme is thrown in into the, yeah. the the mix, right? So um, after show four, a music editor is brought into the mix supervisor's team. The music editor takes the library and puts in all the music to the lock picture. And if there's a scene where it's like a Halloween scene, then they've got to call the composer up and say, hey, I need a 10 second Halloween cue right here. Ah. And so then at that point, the composer's you know just doing a minute worth of work in two weeks. But initially, it's like the first four episodes, which is two months, is pretty intensive. And you guys create a lot of shows here then? I mean... Right now, we're on 10 series. Wow. Uh, we create about 150, depending on the year and what gets greenlit, financed, right? Um, 150 to 170 episodes a year. 
of cartoons. Keeping you busy. And we're only one company, probably yeah. of 20 in, in Canada. Wow. Yeah. So how did you land in this, in this role as music supervisor here? I landed very softly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the turning point, I, w I went to university. I never studied music. I was just a lover of music. I played drums. And has, so I, I was, have here in my notes that you studied economics and psychology. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good notes. <laughs> yeah. I uh, just, just uh, I, uh, like Shannon was saying, I, I went to university to think and socialize. Yeah. Um, I had a DJ business at, at university. I was also cool. the, the campus DJ yeah. for three years. So uh, like at the, t at the Wilfrid Laurier, there was a pub called The Turret. So it's like 500 dancing monkeys every Friday and Saturday. <laughs> and you were the DJ? Uh, I was one of, the, one of the DJs. But yeah, and then uh, I also had my own business in the fourth year because uh, there were social parties all around that required DJs. So I was actually, you know, acquiring my music library ah. and getting paid for it. It was the best, right? <laughs> I was getting paid to gather music. So I I had like 2,000 CDs wow, you know, yeah. that I'd load in in 1988, 89. I'd load them in. Nowadays, it's a computer. I've got 60,000 pieces of audio that I've collected over the wow. years. I, I did over 300 weddings. I've done over 100 corporate functions. Have you transferred them into digital then? Have you taken... And like that, you have access to that in the digital. It's all yeah. digitized. Yeah. Wow. That that was that was a headache going from <laughs> CD to MP3s. That took a long time. But um, so then after university, I was in bands, but I was doing sales. And then four years later, or a few, a few late years later, my uh, grandfather had passed away, and he left me a, a, a nice, a nice little inheritance. And so uh, I asked a friend from my university days who uh, was in finance. And it was at that point where, um, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but it, it's a good story. <laughs> so before bank card, when bank cards came out, there was no encryption stripe. So it was around 1995. Okay. There was no encryption on bank cards. So there wasn't? There, were, there what, may what have been it? the magnetic Stripe, but okay. there was no encryption. And my friend had um, uh, this company called Certicom, which had invented the encryption, and they were about to get the U.S. government on board. So I bought at $2 a share, and I, I bought 1,000 shares, I think. So I invested 2,000, and then um, six months later, it was already up to uh, 20 bucks. Wow. In six months. Yeah. Um, it ended up going, I, I cashed out at 30 bucks. Um, you can figure out how much I made. Um, but it ended up going up to 150 in another six months. Wow. If I had cashed out then, I would have had 400 grand in my pocket. But I chose to cash out because I was done with sales. I was over. I was, Shannon loves this story because <laughs> I was driving down the DVP. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs in my car, pulling on my tie, just like, what am I doing? Yeah. And uh, cashed out, and I ended up going to Harris Institute for the Arts just down the road over here for audio engineering. Oh, wow. I had two ways to go, business for music or audio engineering, and I didn't know how to use one of these, the microphone. Right. I had no idea. Or I, I had used them. Just but I didn't understand. Kind of, yeah. I didn't understand the physics behind it, right? And I wanted to get into the music industry a little bit more, so I cashed out, 
and uh, told my parents I'm going to school and I was still living on my own in Toronto. Um, I was one of the older kids. I was 27 at the time. And I spent a year of full intensive studying on audio engineering, music theory, uh, the whole shebang. And I came out with uh, Pro Tools Studio post-production. Yeah. That was one of the... Uh, what, it's funny because one of my teachers at the school, I'm actually... I work with every once in a while. And oh. uh, he's an, a mix supervisor. So we work together. Um, so it's just funny. fascinating how you can work beside somebody... Uh, when they were were initially your mentor, one of yeah. your mentors. Yeah. Uh, so I came out of school. One was of it a good program? It was a solid program. Yeah. It's very intensive, and you, you can't you can't be working during it. Let's right. put it that you way. You got to just focus you, on if that. If you have a day job or a, even a part time job, you're going to have a little bit of difficulties fitting it all in. Yeah. Because um, you, you're working with physics, you're working with music, math. You're also working in groups. <sighs> yeah. Right. Uh, one of my favorite moments at Harris was in, in the final term was uh, our um, there's a teacher named Doug McClement. He was the much music live to air audio engineer. He pulled up his audio truck and all these cables come out and he attaches to much music. And he's the one who made it go to your television when you were watching. And um, so one of our challenges uh, you had a you were split off into teams. We were given Le- Lenny Kravitz's live off the board mix. Mix it, yeah. And then I'm going to compare the four of you guys, and you'll get your grades, right? So I'm sitting there mixing Lenny Kravitz, and we have all the drums all separated. We got his voice separated. We're adding reverb to it. It was just a fascinating experience to be so close to somebody or so far away from somebody who's a star, but touching their music. Yeah. As a their project, work. yeah, totally. their actual work, right? So, that that was that was quite fascinating. So, yeah, Harris is a total pro school and has been going for many many years, and and I love it. I recommend it to uh, anybody who wants to get into audio engineering. So I quit that. I I finished school. I actually went back to one of my sales jobs, but one of my friends from school got into Nelvana as a as a video editor initially, even though he was an audio guy. Really? He got in as a video <laughs> editor. Um, and then that was my transformation. He was able to get me an interview uh, with the love of my life's cousin in uh, you know, with a woman named Lisa. And she ended up being my boss. She hired me on the spot. She liked what I uh, had to offer. And I became this part-time um, schmuck in the post-production, <laughs> yeah. just one of these kids, you know, just one of these people who were to help out everybody. Yeah. Not necessarily responsible for much, but I just would, uh, dialogue records at that point were on dat tapes. Oh gosh. So they, those, they'd they be were fl- awesome. Like yeah. Alicia Silverstone would uh. record in LA and it would come up to me and I'd have to log it and, uh, you know, make sure video editors had the right piece of audio. Yeah. Pro Tools was just uh, coming to fruition in the uh, video realm as well. So, you know, digitizing dat tapes, I was part of that. Um, yeah, so that's how I started at Nelvana in, uh, in 1999. In 2000, 2001 was when uh, opening in the music department happened, uh, music coordinator. And so be it another one of my friends from Harris happened to be in the department at that time. And she got me in, got me the interview, and hired me. 
Gee whiz. So you've, you've been here a long time. I've been here 18 years, 19 years now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems to be a bit of a rarity that someone in this industry stays in a job, you know, sometimes quite fickle or sometimes a lot of freelance or whatnot, but you've been able to find steady employment here. A uh, couple of things are fortunate yeah. <laughs> that are very fortunate is the people I'm working with are artistic. Yeah. Artistic brained, artistic minded, even the executives understand the artistic nature, right? They're artistic in their form or format. Uh, many of them are musicians themselves or they're photographers they're themselves. They've been in the industry and understand what it takes. Uh, fortunately, my boss, is also, who's also been here 22 years, has been my boss the whole time, yeah. right? So, you know, we're, we're music bros. We've just, you know, he's my boss. He hates it when I call him that, but we're, we're more friends than boss. Yeah. Bosses. But we're surrounded by wonderful people who uh, are on the same wavelength. Uh, no audio pun intended, right? But right. I've been very fortunate to be involved in this and fortunate enough to be involved in cartoons. And as the love of my life says, Shannon, she says... Have a great day at cartoon camp. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Are you surprised if I know? I mean, you, you appreciated cartoons at such a young age. How do you feel working amongst it? And is it what you thought? Is it as magical as you thought? <laughs> it is magical. It's very magical. Uh, I, I, I just never thought music and animation would come together for me. That was yeah. never the vision, ever. But for some reason, it, can, it just... It just, it came to me. And, and, and it, it, it was just very fortunate, very lucky timing. The people I met, you know, I think Harris, you know, from my grandfather passing away and me investing in properly and doing, you know, I left a great revenue generating salary. Yeah. And I went down to eight bucks an hour at the age of 27. Right. I, I wasn't how I was saving for RSPs. I was spending my money. I was enjoying it. And um, I just, uh, I'm just unfortunate that the past led me here. To be in animation is fascinating, yes. Um, the illustrators, the designers, the color artists, the directors that I'll work with are all soft hearts. Yeah. And, and, um, but they've all worked so hard at what they do, and and it shows the the the, the storylines and the shows. This I wish I could have met more scriptwriters and storyboard artists who are not in the studio necessarily because they are the beginning of the yeah, process. Yeah, it starts. Right? But you don't get to see them too often. Not too often. No, yeah. no. Their work comes back to here, gets digitized, and then I see their work on 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 a on a screen of some sort. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Some of the amazing backgrounds that are drawn like in in minutes like storyboard yeah. artists to me are the heroes because yeah. they take script they take the vision of visuals and then they marry them together and those those storyboards can be like four panels a page 250 pages long big thick yeah. just phenomenal yeah. work so i hope they get paid well <laughs> <I'm sure> they <laughs> do do you find it's quite a stable workforce here then like uh, is there a tendency to stay a little bit longer in a job posting in animation um in post-production here uh, there are some really strong uh, 
experienced people. So yes, there's yeah. there's a lot of us close to 20, 25 years who have worked together for yeah. ages. When it comes to animators, I have a feeling their contract when a show starts, when a show ends, they start and they they end and yeah. that gig's over. Uh, I think I and I believe Nelvana and the studio tries their best to move them on to new shows where where possible, right? Um, I think one of the there's there's two types of animations, 2D and 3D. Um, 3D animators are hard to come by. Um, it's although it's probably a major project uh, or uh, subject taught at Sheridan College in Oakville. Um, 3D animators and the programs are a lot more robust, and it's a very different process and a lot more costly. So there's a larger number of them required on, oh, on a show animations, yeah. right? Whereas in 2D, rather than 20 animators, there'll be 10 animators on a 2D project. Um, um, but uh, so they're they're more of the contract basis. Script writers the same. Storyboard artists the same. They're all contract based but they do continue to work on a new series if it fits their style just like musicians going back to composers if it if we know that a theme song is going to fit the pop oriented way we'll go to the pop writers yeah otherwise we'll go to um if it's a let's say a rock based theme song then we're going to go to a rock based theme song writer not not a pop writer you know sort of thing do you have so, any, oh, sorry, do you have any tricks or tips for people? I know people ask me all the time about picking music for videos or something like that. Do you have any tips or tricks, you know, that you could share when it comes to picking music? I have a hard time articulating because I feel it's just internal and it's more yeah. of a, I mean, I'm like you, I, I've listened to a lot of music. I have, you know, music collection, the music's very important to me and it just seems like it's internal. And I, I can't really articulate it. Do you have you found any way to kind of say what, what? Well, part of our job is to interpret what people say, and yeah. and that it's like when somebody says that sounds flat, it's like, are you talking B flat or are you talking it doesn't shine, or it, it's it just lays idle. Like, yeah, you have to kind of clarify that because when you're talking music, there's interpretations that can be very different. Tips and tricks. God, just just be open and and be open-minded, um, because what comes out of a composer's fingers and mind onto into your ears could be very different from what you ever expected, but mm. could be loved even more. So, um, tips you, and are you talking tips and tricks? Yeah, to I don't know. Find like music. A minor is a, is a sad chord. If you're gonna have a sad yeah. cue, using it, yeah, it's just stuff like that. Anything that you that comes to mind, like, uh, um, it, it's just being very honest with your interpretation of what a scene is is it yeah. needs. Yeah. And and there's so many music libraries out there, and there's so much music out there. You know, <laughs> a trick. Or it is to use Google and find it. <laughs> Type in what you feel ah. plus song. And and things will come up and, and listen to it. Spotify is a good source. iTunes is a good source. Um, uh, YouTube, SoundCloud. Uh, there's so many sources that if you type in um, a, a, a feeling, you will find it. It yeah. will come up. We're very fortunate that way because if you had that feeling back in the 80s or 70s, you had to create it. 
yeah, I don't know how as a director I would have articulated some of the tracks that I felt that I would have needed, you know, like to yeah. just, we just have the information is right there and uh, so quick and easy right now. It I is find. quick and easy. Yeah. Um, I was told that, because you, you, so a lot of your job is uh, sourcing out the music to be composed by the composers. Do you have a story about a time I, I, I imagine that composers you know it's a it's a tough gig not a yeah. lot of regular work maybe sometimes it could be a side hustle could be whatever right it's an yeah. artist yeah is there any uh, story that you have to share about a time well you know there, uh, it's it's uh, finding gigs um, in order for you to find gigs, you got to be kind of in the know with with the productions, like um, hitting up CBC, hitting up CTV, hitting up Global. I'm talking about television, but they have budget to spend on music, and and you know you got to knock on those doors. There's production houses out there that you don't even know of. Yeah. Um, you know when you're watching the credits, watch the credits of your movies and television shows. Watch them, search them out, write those production houses' names out. And get a demo into their hands. Um, we hired a composer one time. Um, I was doing working on a Japanese anime, and so I'm working with Japan directly. So there's a little bit of a translation gap mm -hmm. at times. They were in their seventh season, and uh, they wanted a new composer. So, you know, I sent them bios, I sent them demos, and they chose this one composer. I'll call him Composer One. So hired composer one first episode. He, they were asked to. They asked for all this music, and they delivered. And they're like, "Oh, we don't like that cue. Rewrite. Oh, we don't like that cue. Rewrite." And when we hear the word rewrite, that's scary. It's not adjust. It was rewrite the cue. We don't like it. Um, and then uh, came back with his rewritings. You know, a week later, still don't like it. Still don't like it. So then the call came from Japan to me and saying, "We gotta, we gotta find another composer. Can you help us out? Can you fix it because we're in production now?" Yeah. And I was just like, so I let the composer one know that he had to be like, "Oh, that was the toughest call of my life because that was the very first time." Does he still get paid for some of the work that he's done at that point? Like we did. Yeah. Yeah. We paid him out. We own the music. Yeah. In the end, Japan used some of the music <laughs> not surprised. some of it in the end <laughs> does not surprise me but uh it was christmas around this time it was like december 21st when i had to make that phone call oh. to composer one Ooh. but i also made a composer uh so pre the previous composer i'll call him composer two happened to be in japan and i called him up and i say hey they want you back um, it's a $100,000 gig. Do you want it? Can you do it? And he's like, well, I'm in Japan right now. Uh, yeah, I'll fly back to start early. Sure. But since I'm here, should I go meet with them? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go meet with them, right? So he ended up, you know, he was in his vacation clothes. He, he ended up going in Tokyo back to their their office. And it was for them, it was fascinating to meet him because he had worked on a couple of previous seasons. But it was a phone call. It was a hundred thousand dollar Christmas phone call, wow. and, and he flew back after Christmas and started writing right away, like immediately, right? And he had to make 60, 70 minutes of music in the, in the first month. Wow! And he's one guy, one single guy. So he he knew what he was doing. He he could crank it out. Yeah. Um. 
so that that's you know those good news stories can happen um but it was a bad news story in the beginning had right composer one at christmas was without a gig unfortunately you know but yes he did get paid and we kept his music and it was still used so he was on the music cue sheet and still gets royalties as well <laughs> i gotta uh, imagine it's a tough job like i, I just the, yeah i i when i I don't work with composers very often. And when I have, it has been a struggle for me to articulate what I want for them to get. And then right. it just seems, uh, you know, it's a lot of money that you're spending and then you're trying to get, and I don't want to give them, we'll make a, you know, a knockoff of this song and then we're, you know, I don't want to. So it, It's good to have references. Yeah, good to have references, but not copycat. But I think right. what you do is like very important job to mediate between the director, the creatives, and the supervisors, because I imagine that you speak probably a language that the composer can understand. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. That stuff. That, <laughs> for the most part. The funny thing is, is my job is to source out the person to work with the director. Okay. Because I know they're capable of this, uh, let's say, a classical style. Um, but also can rip out the guitar or has a guitarist in their repertoire and can do a heavy cue if they need to. Um, some of the composers just don't have that repertoire. So I think the biggest part of the job for me is f matching that. And that's, that's the biggest unknown because the director wants to feel comfortable yeah. with the person in the room, right? So... You also have to kind of match. You got to figure out their personality and their and and their flaws, of both, right? And then put them together. And as long as the producer's happy, they'll pay them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you get them together in a room, two creative minds, you know, m I I kind of sit back. My job is not over, but my job is to make sure that both of them are happy, and then my job continues from the production point of view. I'm making sure the composer has a production schedule and that it's it's being delivered on time. Are you wasted, tired? Do you have enough downtime? Like, are you okay? Are you eating? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you're you, composer, you're, you're okay. And then at the same time, the director is happy with the first pass. Like, it's the first four episodes that are the most difficult because you're creating a style for the show. Right. After that, it's smooth sailing uh, from my, for, for me because I know they're communicating. Um, often the director will, and the composer will email each other directly after oh, that. okay, yeah. And because they've built this relationship. It's yeah. been a couple months of really grinding out the style. Um, so although I'm involved in those, those four first episodes, my attitude is let them discuss the language, let them figure out their own language, and I'll interject if I feel there's a production flaw, or no, you're not you're not seeing each other's point of view, like uh, then I'll interject, right, right. right? But for the most part, they speak each other the same language. Some directors can be they have difficulties communicating, but a lot of the directors already have some kind of music background. They understand it. Ah, okay. So they get it. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying a music background where they play guitar or, or they're, they're musicians themselves. It's just they love music and they can reference a theater show from like 1983 in New York City saying, I remember this one piece was like this. Right. Or they can reference Stomp for some, for some kind of percussive element or something. Or, or it's like they, they 
understood some Japanese taiko show was like, did you watch that? Let's watch that. And reference this part, you know. Mm. And um, so it's, it's all about the reference. Really? If you, can, yeah. if you can reference something or a show or a series, a composer is able to go back and study that a little bit more and understand what the score is doing, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm an interpreter. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I speak the language, but I'm, I'm, I definitely don't create the language. I'm going to say that. <laughs> I want to go back to you said about, you know, putting into Google how you were feeling in song or whatever to search for music. And there are an awful lot of like crowdsourcing music, royalty free music sites out there. There are a ton of them. Like I don't have any music composed because it's all right there. Mm -hmm. But those tracks are like industry secret here, dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. Like crazy cheap, yep. like 25, 30, 40 US dollars a track for use. Not for broadcast, it'd be a different licensing there, but generally for use there. What do you think that's going to do to the state of the composers and that? That like, are, are they making this scale or or is this, are they being underpaid here dramatically? Um, those royalty free music sites, somebody had to pay them for it. Um, there, there are composers out there who compose for libraries but they're the most basic of compositions at times um and they're getting paid. i don't know they're, they're pretty good tracks now we find some i'm shocked with the tracks that we find on there i'm like how is this guy like this is full on well <laughs> yeah it's um it's watering it down it's yeah. saturating it yeah. um some of those guys some of those composers have bigger gigs Maybe they have a day job mm. and they're doing this on the side for fun, right? Right, right. Like, um, same with video game people. I, I wrote music with a partner of mine for a video game thing. We got paid like 500 bucks, but it was 30 hours of work, you know? Like, yeah. but to me, it was just creating something. Sure. It was just creating something. Um, there is so much media uh, that it's spread out that everybody can make a living it's just how big of a living are you going to make how successful is that production going to become mm -hmm. that's also the 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 um um future you don't know that you can't predict the future on that production it's it's difficult uh so hopefully you can build into a contract you know future payments based on sales like that's what we had with our video game contract it's like you sell a thousand units we got to bump up. You sell ah. 10,000 units, you get a bump up. Yeah. 100,000 units, we get another bump up, right? Like, um, So things like that are in the contract. How, how did you feel being the composer in the composer's seat? Oh, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, I've done it a couple of times. I'm, I, you know, I'm more of a songwriter. I, my partner, Sean, at the time, he, he, he's also a songwriter. So it, it's fun, and, and it was fun. It was. I'll just say it was fine. It was. Uh, it's time consuming, um, but we didn't. We weren't making these brilliant orchestral pieces. Right. It was. It was more fun, dinky little video game stuff. But it had to be loopable. So we're. The uh, we had the understanding of how to create and what the 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 um, owner of the music wanted. So yeah, it was. It was fascinating being on the other side. <laughs> I don't know if I could. Uh, you wouldn't want to do it for a living. I, I, I don't have the training to do it for a living. Yeah? To believe, Even yeah. though you've done what you do and you see it and you're with around it all the time, you feel like... 
Those you guys are the training. Cra- the people we hire are crazy talented, talented people. Yeah. They can make 15 minutes of <laughs> solid orchestral music in two weeks. Yeah. Even though it's That's still coming crazy. out of the box, the computer. Yeah. They know how to finesse and make it and, mi- like, and, and mix it and beautify it, right? Um, I, I just never took that type of training. I have submitted on theme songs outside of Nelvana, like uh, custom created songs, and because I know how to play guitar and drums and uh, maneuver a computer to make a 30 second theme. That is, I'll invest time in that. Yeah, I'll try that. I'll do that. Haven't won a gig, but that's okay, <laughs> because I'm up against the great songwriters, sure, right? Yeah. Like I'm up against. Um, for example, Blair Packham, who who was with the Jitters, he he does scoring for us. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm a huge Jitters fan. Yeah, Blair yeah. Packham wow. writes. He's won four of the theme songs. I've been up against him before. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that's tough. People like yeah. that. We've had Emily Claire Barlow submit uh, jazz jazz um, writer Jane Sibbery submitted. Oh wow. Um, we've had Randy Bachman hit us up and saying he's a great kid songwriter for children. We we're like, yeah, whatever. You didn't take him up on it. <laughs> Really? Why no. not? Why not? <laughs> uh, you don't think he could come up with uh, something catchy and hooky and kind of... Sure, but we didn't want to pay the bill that he was oh, asking okay, for. okay, there you go. You know, yeah, so there's yeah. a little bit of that going on sure. too, right? Jane yeah. would do it for scale? Well, it, or was she, just more? she actually, uh, yeah, she did a couple of songs. Um, yeah, for scale. Okay. Yeah. She, she was, uh, this was uh, on a show called Miss Little, Little Miss Spider, and uh, she wrote the theme song, and... We pay decent money for theme songs. We're, we're I mean, like, I guess the idea is probably you'd want to take advantage of if it was Randy or Jane or somebody, and be in your marketing would be like kind of tied a little bit to that. If wagon that as well, was incorporated, of. but that would be more costly again, right? Like yeah. there's there's ties into a music contract for you know uh, media in perpetuity. How long we own it for? Yeah. And we're typically in perpetuity, right? So can you use it on the web? Can you use it in commercials? This, this. It bumps up the price. And you guys are probably doing a lot of, would you be doing a lot of just promos? But then would there be, are there any kind of ad sales tied to that thing too? Or because it's cartoons? No, very little advertising Uh, tie-ins with that stuff. That, yeah. um, Yeah, there's... You know that's kind of outside my realm. Okay, yeah, I just that's don't. that's where it gets to the uh, the broadcast side. Yeah, we're the production house who delivers the tape to the. You don't worry about whatever it costs for the royalties, the rights, or if you can use it. Really, because yeah, you're just thinking about that. the creative. They, you're thinking what serves the story and the show the most. Exactly. Not thinking what the broadcast. What happens what afterwards? The advertisers best. Like Novana has a marketing team, a merchandising team, and yeah. and uh, you know where it goes, how it gets onto the TTC bus, you know, on YTV, that sort of thing. Yeah. There's a whole team of people doing that, but for from our viewpoint. They could. They can also be clients. They can also chime in early on a on a production, um, because they want a certain style for a show. Yeah. They want to be able to market it accordingly. So they 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 can weigh in on lyrics every once in a while. Um, say this lyric rather than yeah. this lyric. All of a sudden the mel- melody changes. You know. So mm. then they can cause because con- they're so close. Just to explain to the people listening that the two companies are quite close. Yes, the broadcaster yeah. and creator. Yeah, yeah. They, they'll they'll be they'll have the opportunity to comment on any of the music. Uh, even the first four episodes, they'll be able to comment. So all of a sudden, you could have five different uh, executives oh. commenting outside, and then the director has to manage all these comments. And I can, the director is 
in essence, the lead on the creative, but he's got a field he or she has to field all these different comments coming down and then make a decision on what stays and what doesn't, right? So sometimes the marketing decision on changing that lyric is is a no. And marketing has to back off, and that's fine. Oh, that's good. But as long it, but it, <laughs> it's nice. But, but it's <laughs> for the best of the I've show, right? a lot of corporations where marketing didn't have to back off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it... it it's a real fine again that's where my job comes in that's who I'm fielding as yeah. well right like that's my job is to pr- also protect the composer and the director mm. from th- that happening because they they can be quite uh, jarring um, and um, insensitive to the whole commentary process and not understand what we're going through down in the trenches here and, yeah. and part of my job is to be the, the gatekeeper as well. Every once in a while. It's not a lot. I'm not saying broadcasters are the evil. They're the ones sh- showing our show. They're airing our show. They're yeah. friends. We're, we're working together. But at the same time, you, you gotta, you, we have to protect our people here, um, the composers and the directors, and, and, and make sure that they're happy. Because if they get in a bad state of mind, the music and the creative that's going to come out is not going to be as good in future shows. You, yeah. you got to keep them on on the good side of us. And, but the, some of the composers are so seasoned. Yeah, They've been sure through they've this so all. much. Yeah. They've seen way worse. They love Nelvana's production process. They uh-huh. love how we work. And we're, they love working with us. They, they appreciate, sure, they appreciate the check, but at the same time, they love the process and they love that there's two music supervisors who care for them. Yeah. Not just for the music, but for them, actually. Like, That's it's, so important, it's, too, it's when important. you're going job to job or gig to gig or, you know. Yeah, you can run into some doozies. I <laughs> <laughs> really can. Are there any music supervisors that you look to in films or movies? Is there anybody who say, man, I, I, it's a little behind the scenes there, but I don't know, I wanted to ask that. If It's interesting. There was, I forget her name. She's out of L.A. I wish I had her name in, in my head. There's one woman who I've seen on feature films numerous times. I forget. Um, but uh, I searched one and one lady did come up and I can't remember her name either. But she was really well respected. Y- yeah, and, and she's like early 30s yeah yeah just young and she's she's doing really well in the industry uh you know music supervisor it's not like so many people don't know what a music supervisor is that they don't even say that that's their job right they say oh, i'm in music right which is but, what but I, I think do. i think though that people because i've heard people say who are not even in the industry say man i would love to pick the music for a, a, a movie. That would yeah. be my job. I love that job. I'm so good at music. I know music and I could pick all those tracks, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, like, yeah. But they don't know what it really means. But they don't know what it really means because, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a few music supervisors that I do know in the industry and they're doing fantastic in Canadian productions. But uh, I don't search out other music supervisors. That's the funny <laughs> thing. Like how, how you say, is there anyone you look up to? I'm like... Uh, even watching cartoons as a kid, I didn't look for the music supervisor credit. I didn't right. even know there was a music supervisor, if there even was one back then. So, I, I, sorry, I don't, I don't have much to say on that That's all right. Question. That's all right. Here's another one. <laughs> I've got another one. Um, any looking forward, what, what projects would you like to work on? Do you have any pet projects or passion projects? Would you like to do a feature film? Would you consider live action? 
You know, live action would be a challenge. That's that's where you get into licensing of music. Yeah. And licensing contracts can be quite arduous. They can really nit be nitpicky. We have contracts here for our composers, but they're standard contracts, and there might be subtle changes, but for the most part, our legal department takes mm. care of all that. Yeah. When you are a feature film music supervisor, you have to have your own law department go right. through those things, right? So all of a sudden you're, you've got your own team as well. Um, and licensing is a different beast because uh, depending on, it's really difficult because the timing in feature film I find is, is if you do want Michael Jackson's thriller and you've got locked picture and you've got Michael Jackson's thriller in there and you haven't negotiated the final contract yet and it's been two years that you've been working with Michael Jackson's uh, copyright publishing owner and you still haven't nailed down the price or the terms and it's about to be finished into the mix, that's when you may have to pull the plug. Yeah. Because it could go from fifty grand for that to three hundred grand. They they can choose, right? Right. You're deciding on Michael Jackson's. You're the one who wants it. Put it in. Totally. Let's 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 wait till it airs, and then we'll send you the final. Con we'll sign the contract for three hundred right. grand. That's the. Wow. That's the game. Feature film music supervisors have to play is is the contract signed, sealed, and delivered on both sides. Right. That's uh, for the licensed music. They still have to compose, but I guess they're probably with higher level composers as well that probably well, it's interesting. I set their own rates. When uh, TIFF was happening uh, a few weeks back, Hans Zimmer was in town. Yeah. And I actually went, and I didn't meet him, but yeah. I saw him speak. What an eloquent, eloquent man. Really? Um, yeah. Fascinating how he um, interprets music. He he pushes the music on his directors. He 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 rarely he he mentioned that he rarely will change his vision because he wants his vision to be intact for your film, and that's the strength. That I mean, who knows what he was like. When he was younger, he didn't yeah. take piano lessons. He didn't take music lessons. He uh, he he figured it out all himself. Wow, uh, self-taught, right? Yeah. And I love that. So that means passion. That meant perseverance. That just meant full on. Um, but he's he's a pro in the sense that this one director had come to him, uh, and he said, uh, "I w I want you to write a song for me. Here's the lyrics." And he goes, "A song? I don't write songs." And he goes, "No, just." Write a song, what you think uh, is based on these lyrics, right? And uh, he said, oh, okay, okay. And it was a song about, I guess, the director's son. So then Hans decided to change it into, I'm going to write about my son. And so he wrote a piece. He, he wrote a piece, but based on the lyrics, he didn't sing the lyrics. He didn't have anybody sing it. He just wrote a piece. Yeah. Gave it to the director. And the director loved it so much that he decided okay i'm using this as the thematic to my new film i haven't touched a script i haven't read it i'm gonna listen to this over and over as i'm writing this script yeah and that turned out to be i think i think it was intergalactic oh christopher nolan that's right yeah yeah, Chris Nolan. I think Chris Nolan would be someone who really respects the artist of the composer. Because yeah. this, think of the script in that movie. 
Was there a script? I, I don't know. Intergalactic. <laughs> Have you seen the film? Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, it was craziness. It was well. He was alone, right? Yeah. So there was. Well, am had... I thinking of it? Am I thinking of Interstellar? Maybe. Or am I, I thinking mean? Interstellar? Sorry, I don't know. We'll I'm, it in the but, but, it, but, it was, but anyways, but I get it was what Christopher saying. Nolan. Yeah. It was Christopher Nolan, um, and it became the thematic. So Hans Zimmer didn't had no idea that he was writing the thematic for a, a feature film. Wow. Because he tricked he he tricked them. Yeah. He said, write a song, but not not a piece. Write a song. So he took it as a song-based thing. So it, it helped Hans think song, so melodic movement. Yeah. Something repeatable, something. And that became the basis of this before even writing the script for the I'm going to have to rewatch that movie. Yeah. Now that you say it's that. It's crazy. <laughs> but I, I love that, that that, that, you know, musicians can be looked at as... Well, they are looked at as composers are looked at as a key piece to to a film to anything, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, the, how they many support people, the emotion in a scene is is just unbelievable. No, I don't think lighting does as much. Almost, I think that music is really, you know, can set the tone for a scene. Yeah, I wish we could tell all our producers here because we only get two weeks to write and a week to oh, fix. Like, gosh. think of that. Think yeah. of that kind of pressure. Imagine if we had a month per each episode. You could really fine-tune stuff. But that that's, again, budget. And for a cartoon, for an animation, it's two hundred fifty grand an episode. And that's that's all in. That's 22 minutes, two hundred fifty grand, and we're yeah. making 26 apps, right? So it gives you a number. Gosh, that's, that's kind of on the high end a that's, little bit, I would have thought. But uh, That's for a cartoon. Because I was thinking some live action, but maybe I haven't checked budgets in years and the prices have gone up a lot. Yeah. Think, for, yeah. for TV shows and that. Yeah, yeah. It, can, it can. I mean, if yeah. you if you want to sell a good show, you got to have a little bit of an investment, right? But, sure. But the average cost is a quarter of a million dollars for a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you sell it. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you sell some toys based on that cartoon. That too, as That's well, how you cash yeah. in. Well, Norm, this has been great. It's been fantastic. Have you got one piece of advice that you would share to someone who thought they might want to get into, say, animation or the music side of animation or the music side of television? Um, there is a lot of opportunity out there. You just got to find it. Um, and, you know, watch the credits of every single TV show or film or whatnot. Find out the production name because there's so many co-productions going on. Uh, you know, France and Germany could be making a film, France and Canada, uh, Japan and Canada. There's co-pros out there that, you know, you could hit up the Japanese company to be potentially a composer for yeah. a show that they're doing. You just never know. Reach out because... Um, so make demos, send them out? Make solid demos. <laughs> you said production quality? Production value, production quality, um, and, and variety. Be, be, have variety in your music. Um, if, if you're not capable of variety, then teach yourself. Figure it out. Yeah. You know, uh, bring in your guitar player. Bring in your fiddle player. Bring in your banjo player. If you want to show variety, have the pros record on your demos, right? Um, because if, if you don't have a good demo you're not going to get through our doors we've we've thrown out cds or i mean that's the past we've heard demos online and we're just like nope not ready yet yeah yeah you know um documentaries um are not going to sell you to us you know so yeah. documentaries are wallpaper for music um you know they're I, I, i'm not knocking documentaries themselves i'm knocking 
they're not story-based, storytelling-based music. Um, and, and there's a lot of work out there. There's video games. There's, there's things on True. YouTube. There's yeah. everywhere. There's, there's a possibility for music. And, uh, you know, team up with your songwriters. Get your vocal, get your vocal team together. If, uh, if you're a songwriter, you know, and you, you have one vocalist you go to, find 10 more. Because you mm. got to have a plus. Because if they don't like that voice, the producers or the director or your clients, if they don't like that female voice, they're going to want another female voice. And I hope you have another one. So get your team of professional, you know, players behind you. Yeah. Expand your network. Co-compose. Right. Find other people to compose with. Hit up a Hans Zimmer. Can I mentor? Can I be your coffee boy or coffee girl or whatever? Uh, hit up, you know, those fan, the, the composers that are, that, that, you know, are in the studio working, be, be, be the assistant engineer, be, be the tech geek. If, if you're a tech geek who wants to compose, be the tech guy beside the board, you know, be, yeah. be something else outside of just being a composer. Um, have that skill set, hire your skill set and you'll, you'll, you'll find success eventually. It takes time. And buy low, yeah. sell high. If you get stocks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to let you leave without doing one of these, uh, I guess, media terms. Okay. I usually uh, throw one at uh, the guest at the end of the episode to see if they know it, and then either to just secure their credibility or completely destroy it. Uh, here comes destruction. <laughs> okay. Is so, it Mike? Uh, yeah, well, I think Mike is Mike, Mike check. out. <laughs> so this is a music supervision term. It's got a very long definition so i'm hoping that you can give me like the cole's note one okay it's a music supervision term okay most favored nations <laughs> aka mfn M yeah mfn so mfn i know i can see you'd saying that around the office oh we got we got mfn on this music track here do you do you know what this means most favored nations I don't know. You're going to make me read this long definition here. That is awesome. Most favored nations is a term borrowed from the United Nations that basically means every nation will be treated equally and without preference. As it applies to music licenses, it means that if any other music of similar status is licensed at a higher price than you'd originally quoted, the production company is obligated to pay you the same amount for your music cue that they paid for the other similar cue. It does not mean, however, that the newbie breakout indie band is going to command the same license fee as a song written or recorded by the Rolling Stones. It simply means that indie angsty chick and newbie breakout indie band, I don't know who wrote this definition, will be treated equally. And the Stones and the Beatles will price themselves out of the films that don't have 250k to toss at one source queue. This is important language to have in every music license. How many music licenses are you signing and not knowing this term? I don't even know what I read there, to be honest with you. Do you does that make any sense to you? Uh, somewhat. I guess what <laughs> happens is uh, in some field, well, so that's why we custom compose our music. That's yeah. exactly why we custom compose. Mm. Because what happens is, is in, it's in English and then it gets translated. Yeah. So, are you going to translate the Rolling Stones song and re-sing it? Right. Or are you going to oh. relicense it for broadcast in France? So, like, although we licensed it, it's for North American territory only. Right. Um, let's let, let let's say we put 
Rolling Stones in one of our. But you can't because you've only got two hundred fifty thousand dollars for your entire budget, and nah. they want that for one musical cue. Yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but that's that's why we custom create yeah. everything. Yeah. It, a, it builds a brand. B, we make our own style. Um, but in feature films, if you want a version, um, a, a, a film into German, I don't know how often that happens mm. or if that happens. Um, I mean, that's what closed captioning is all about, right? But I think that's what they're trying to say is in the United Nations, they're trying to say <laughs> if you want to recreate or re-version uh, a feature film, you're going to have to repay the Rolling Stones yeah, two hundred fifty grand in that territory. So it's just yeah, it's, it's just saying expensive. fair game amongst sales of each going into different territories. But how often? I mean, we have Cineplex in Canada. I don't know what film companies are in France, for example. But how often is it going to get translated? Right. Right. Very rarely. If it's popular English film. You're not going to translate it. You'll just watch the captions in Swedish or in Finnish or whatever. Right, right. And I think that's what they're saying. I hope so because I have no clue. I yeah. it. But anyways, <laughs> Norm, thank you. This oh, was thank great. you. I really that appreciate it. Cheers. Coming down. Thank good, you. Take good care. Fun going up. All right. Well, there you have it. My conversation with music supervisor Norm Beaver, who, Berman, I think has the premier Canadian name. It does not get any more Canadian than Norm Beaver. Would which you part, agree? Which part? The, the Norm or the Beaver part? <laughs> Both parts. You know, Norm is a Canadian sounding name. Norm MacDonald. That's right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Any other tips that you have to share with people about uh, working with music and videos? Yes, absolutely. You know, again, not all of us have the luxury to be, to be hiring a composer to work our stuff. Um, again, a composer can create a piece that gives you the ups and downs and changes uh, throughout throughout the piece so that it can conform to the story you're trying to tell. Um, one of the pieces I have is when I watch videos out there, I see that someone would use the same piece of music, the same track throughout the entire video. And sometimes these videos are like three, four minutes long mm -hmm. and it's just nonstop repetitive music because it's canned music, right? It's not created tailor-made for your thing. And then you could you notice in that video, there are some ups and downs in terms of the emotions that they're trying to portray, but your music is the same blah, blah, right, blah, right. all the way through. So the tip that I would have is don't be afraid to use multiple tracks to put it together. Yes, it's a little more work, but if you can find the tracks that, that matches the parts in your video and the story uh, changing, the emotions that change in the story, it helps tremendously. At the end of the day, you're trying to tell a story. You're trying to evoke emotion. And sometimes one track isn't enough. You need multiple tracks to build that, uh, build that journey in your story. Well, for more tips and tricks like this, make sure you visit us over at videotwins.com. You can find episodes of the podcast there. Our hacks are there. We've got some courses for sale. So check it all out. And also check out rainymedia.com. we got a new website there. We're uh, upping our game, as, uh, as they say. And, oh, it looks uh, great. I love oh, it. Oh, good. You happy yeah, with yeah. that? Happy. Very happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that does it for us here uh, at How I Got This Gig. we got more exciting episodes coming up soon, so stick around. Stay tuned. Yeah. Thanks for listening. See you soon.